Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host Rabbi Ari Kiev, and it's great to be with you here on this wonderful, beautiful afternoon. Let's open with a question today. I want to ask you, what was your first thought when you woke up this morning? What did you think about? Let that sink in. Think about that. And the truth is, today I want to talk about gratitude, which, of course, is an attitude. So I'll ask you another question. Have you ever been unhappy because there was something you wanted but couldn't have? Let's try an experiment I recently did at a seminar. Suppose I offered to solve your problem by giving you a choice between two pills. You have a green option and a red option. The green pill will allow you to have whatever you want. Anything you wish for will magically appear for the rest of your life. With the red pill, though, you'll never get anything else for the rest of your life. But I guarantee you will be happy with whatever you do already have. So it's essentially a choice between being happy with little or being happy with everything. Which would you choose and why? Give that some thought. Think about it. At the recent seminar, I got some perspective. Some people told me that they would like the green pill, which would give them whatever they like, right? Why be happy with a little if you could be happy with everything? Or others were of the perspective and opinion that they preferred the red pill. Why bother with new things if you're happy enough with whatever you already have? And... You know, that reminded me of a bucket list. You're familiar with a bucket list? I think there's even a movie called The Bucket List where basically people share the different things they want to do, they want to achieve before the end of their life. And obviously we have no clue when the rest of our life will be. So carpe diem, as we like to say here, seize the opportunity and and do what you can. So I want to ask you then, think about some things that you would like to include on your bucket list. What would you like to achieve before life comes to its end? Or maybe before the end of this year, which isn't so far away. And then I want to ask you, would you be happier if you had the freedom and money to fulfill your entire bucket list? Would that really make you happy? Think about that. A couple of years back, one of the great influencers of the Shabbos Project, in fact, his name is Tal Ben-Shachar. He's a psychologist who wrote a book called Happier. Learn the secrets to daily joy and lasting fulfillment. And while I won't be reading the entire book to you, I just want to share with you a little excerpt in which he talks about the rates of the depression today are far higher than they ever were in the past because today, well, actually, he doesn't really answer the question. He really concludes with the question, if we're so rich these days, then why aren't we happy? We have so much to just read a little bit of the excerpt. He says, while levels of material prosperity, let me just go a little bit further back, actually. He says, in the U.S., rates of depression are 10 times higher today than they were in the 1960s. And the average age for the onset of depression is 14 and a half compared to 29 and a half in 1960. So he continues, while levels of material prosperity are on the rise, so are levels of depression. Even though our generation in most Western countries, as well as in an increasing number of places in the East, is wealthier than previous generations, we are not happier for it. And he then talks about 
a leading scholar in the field of positive psychology, Mihaly, I'm not sure how you pronounce this, Csikszentmihalyi, something like that, who asks the simple question. If we are so rich, then why aren't we happy? And I think it's something to consider. Granted, there's a lot of poverty around us. We live in a country with tremendous rates of poverty. And just as we drive to some very affluent and wealthy areas, we walk by people who are completely impoverished. Yet at the same time, the level of prosperity is far higher than ever it was. And even for those who are less advantaged, there's certainly a much greater degree of luxury that they live in today than perhaps a generation or two ago. And just to think about this, and maybe we shouldn't, for the moment at least, consider those who are less affluent than ourselves, which, by the way, oftentimes I find that those who have a simpler life actually are much happier, which intensifies this question and begs furthermore, then why is it that those who are more privileged are less happy? Think about how many actors and celebrities and athletes and people who you would think have it all and yet really seem to be down and out and depressed. Remember Raman Williams a couple of years ago committed suicide. Look at how many celebrities get up to nonsense and wind up in trouble. So certainly we know that it's not the wealth, it's not the money that's bringing them their happiness. So then we need to understand why isn't happiness correlated to prosperity? What can we do to make ourselves happier? We're going to wish each other a happy new year, a Shana Tova now. Well, what can we indeed do to ensure that it is happier, that it's a happy new year? And this is something that Judaism takes very serious. Happiness is a serious question. And I want you to think about this. Think about things, is it things that are outside of ourselves, things that we have or things that we do that make us happy? Or are we not really truly satisfied by the more gadgets and possessions and things that come our way? In fact, our sages made this very point thousands of years ago. And the Medrash tells us that Ein Adam There's no person who leaves this world who manages to actually fulfill their entire bucket list. Not even half of their ambitions if they're even lucky. A person who has a hundred wants to turn it into 200, and the person who has 200 wants to turn it into 400, and on and on. So obviously, apparently, it's not the things that make us happy. If you go back to your pills, if you choose the green pill, and you'll always get your wish, but you never stop wishing, each time your wish will be fulfilled, what happens? Your dreams will just grow twice as large. Just going to leave you to make new and larger wishes and you're never happy enough because you always want more and more and more, right? Suppose you wish for a palace. It's going to instantly appear. You'll get your palace. Just now, you're going to wait for it to be twice as large and twice as fancy. And then you'll need to make another wish. And when that wish materializes, you're going to want something that's even fancier and more sophisticated. And when that materializes, you're going to want something else. The pill will give you 
No rest because you're always left wanting more and more and more. You'll always find yourself on this never-ending treadmill of wanting more and more stuff. In fact, the ease and swiftness with which the pill enables you to achieve your goals would only speed up the pace of your ambitions. It's going to give you even less rest. You're constantly on the lookout for the next thing, the next gadget. That's why Apple made a success of their iPhones and gadgets and technology because Apple keeps on producing new models and all of a sudden last year's becomes obsolete even though it was perfectly fine till today. Think about so much of our modern technology which you would think with all the advancements of our technological uh, progress we would be so much further ahead. We all thought that once we had an email, huh, our life will be so much better. In the past, we had to actually send snail mail or a telegram or when faxes were invented. And then we got our cell phones. And then we got SMS and we started texting. And then came WhatsApp. And now we're looking for the two blue ticks to see why hasn't the person responded or read my message yet. All this we thought would make our lives so much easier, give us so much more free time. But the reality is it's only accelerated our pace. It's just raised the pressure. It devours nearly all of our time. And now that we can get things done faster, we want to and are expected to get more things done. So the pill will do what cell phones do. Your ability to realize your dreams quickly will drive you to the next goal faster. And what's that going to do? Just put more pressure on you. That seems to be a different kind of reality that we face. You know, they tell the story about a man who docked his fishing boat at 8 o'clock in the morning. And it was basically the hold is half empty. And there somebody comes and approaches him and asks him, why did you come in so early? What happened? What's the matter? And he said, I caught enough fish. It's good enough to sustain me for the day. Well, the fellow asks the fisherman, how did you spend, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? And he says, I'll smoke my pipe, I'll relax, my family, I'll enjoy some quiet time, I'll chill. So the fellow asks the fisherman, then why don't you stay out a little longer and make even more money? So what am I going to do with more money, the fisherman asks him. Well, you could buy another boat, you could hire someone to run it, you can make even more money. And then he asks, okay, so what would I do with that money? Well, you could buy more boats and have a whole fleet of boats. And you could <laughs> just think about the potentials unlimited. You can make so much real money. And what am I going to do with real money, he asks. Well, you could diversify into other lucrative opportunities. You'll really strike it rich, the fellow tells him. And then what will I do if I'm rich, the fisherman asks. Well, if you're rich, you could retire early. Okay, and what would I do with an early retirement? The fisherman asks him. Ah, he says, you would do whatever you wanted to. You could do a little fishing. You could smoke your cigar. You could enjoy your family. Maybe even have some quiet time. To which the fisherman responded, that I already do. You think about what we can do with more and more. A person has to realize how to be satiated. Happiness can't wait until we have everything because we'll never quite reach that point. Each time we move closer to it, what happens? It becomes twice as elusive. 
with a green pill, we're going to spend our entire life chasing happiness. But, my friends, with the red pill, we'll simply be happy. If we're content with what we have, we never need to chase anything new, our happiness will be assured. In other words, happiness is achieved through a mindset, not through things that we accumulate. Now, if you're thinking, okay, I have enough to be happy, then, in fact, you can be happy today. If you're thinking, I don't have enough to be happy, you'll never be happy. Because the next thing that makes you happy will become obsolete in some time, and then you'll need something else to make you happier. The good news, my friends, of course, is you don't have to take any of the pills. Because if you're not looking for happiness, well, that's what we're going to talk about today. How to achieve it. And certainly, if you're not seeking it, most likely, you already have it. We talk about the bucket list, about things that we like to achieve, to get done. I work with senior citizens. I get to hear people's remorse and regrets of life. And I also get to hear people's achievements and accomplishments and gratitude. And what I hear often about is if we're driven by focusing on what we don't have, achieving our goals actually won't change our focus. We'll continue to focus on what we don't have. We're going to push our benchmark for achievement to the next goal. And the next goal is always twice as far, twice as hard. It takes twice as long to reach. The bucket list will keep growing with no end in sight. It's the same story, my friends. And this is because true success of things outside of ourselves is really beyond our reach. If we wait for happiness until we have success, we're going to wait a long time, maybe even forever. Each time we move closer to prosperity, what happens? Well, if that's what's going to bring my happiness, then it becomes twice as hard to actually be happy because I'm constantly looking and searching and exactly what we said before, Hollywood industry, celebrities, politicians, all those Areas, those fields are filled with stars. They've achieved fame and power and wealth. But so many are incredibly unhappy. They turn to all kinds of artificial stimulants, superficial things to bring them happiness. There's, there's chemicals and drugs and exotic experiences, you name it, trying to manufacture happiness. Prosperity and achieving their goals isn't what's making them happy. And... I think we can think to ourselves as well, what is really that brings us happiness? It's something that we really need to consider. And this is what the Medrash perhaps is telling us. Exactly what this search for happiness, what the, the happiness advantage, a book that talks about if success were the cause for happiness, then every employee that gets a promotion, every student that receives an acceptance letter, Everyone who has ever accomplished a goal of any kind, they should all be happier. Except it doesn't work that way. Because with each victory, our goalposts for success keep getting pushed further and further out. So that happiness gets pushed over the horizon. Our instinct is to want more things. That's the way we're hardwired. We want more success. We want more attention. We want more and more and more. But in most cases, our thrill, the, the thrill of life comes not so much from having them, 
but actually from achieving them. Reaching a goal is thrilling, but we're too adept at adaptation. We're too skilled at it. We adapt to our new achievements quickly, and the feel of thrill, that excitement, dissipates so fast. If happiness depends on the thrill of new achievements, we need to feed it constantly with this never-ending diet of new achievements. Enough is never quite enough, which is why having more and being more prosperous doesn't really make us happy. Real happiness comes from being content with what we already have. In other words, happiness is achieved through a mindset rather than through the accumulation of things. So if we have enough to be happy, then indeed, I think we will. And if we don't have enough to be happy, I'm not so sure about that. And let's discuss this. If happiness is a mindset, why is it so hard to achieve? Why is it so hard to be content? We'll be right back to discuss that next. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiban. It's great to be with you here this wonderful, beautiful, splendid afternoon. And I hope by now you certainly have a much greater attitude of gratitude. We asked the question a moment ago before the commercial break. If happiness is just a mindset as we've been discussing, because it's not the things that we accumulate that is really truly making us happier, then why is it that it's so hard for us to actually be content with what we have and to achieve that happiness? And of course, a lot of people now realize that we're, we're too focused oftentimes, focusing on our problems that we don't even notice our blessings. And the reason for that, scientists say, is because the human brain has what they call a negativity bias. Think about this. I've done this demonstration, actually, in my shul. I've done it at so many discussions, talks, where we point to a dot. It could be a red dot on the wall. In fact, there's another study that calls it the missing tile syndrome. Somebody walks into a room, instead of noticing the beautiful beautiful designs and architecture, what do they see? The missing tile, the stain on the wall. And it's not only about rooms and architecture and interior design. Think of someone important in your own life. If this person does nine nice things and one bad thing to you in a day, I want to ask you, which one is going to linger in your mind as you go to bed at night? If you have... 10 successes and one failure in a day, which one sticks in your craw? You see, Almighty God, the Creator, gave our brains a natural bias towards negativity. That's just the way it is. The missing tile stands out in our minds more than the rest of the tiles in the right place. We pick out angry faces in a crowd faster than we see the happy, smiling ones. We notice bad news ahead of good news. In fact, as one who used to be involved in media, I remember the line that they taught, that they say goes, if it bleeds, it leads. Hence, why headlines are, except of course here on Chai FM, where they have a good news report, usually about negativity. 
The negativity bias doesn't mean that we can't be happy. But if you are happy, scientists, they say that you're happy in spite of the negativity bias. It's a bias that's ready to spring into action, depending on events, of course. But when you feel good, it's waiting right there in the background, waiting for that reason to make you feel bad. And when you feel bad, what does the negativity bias do? It wants to make you feel worse. In this book, Hardwiring Happiness by uh, Dr. Rick Hansen, it explains that our brains are continually looking for bad news. As soon as we find some, our brains fixate on it with this tunnel vision, fast-tracking it into the memory stage, reactivating it at the least hint of anything, even vaguely similar to what triggers us. Good news, on the other hand, is treated differently. We give it a kind of a neutral shrug, right? We just, eh, whatever. And that's because the brain has specialized circuits that register negative experiences immediately in emotional memory so that we can learn from them. On the other hand, most positive experiences, they just flow from the brain like water through a sieve. We experience it, we enjoy it, and guess what? We forget about it very quickly. That's the way God made us. Think about this. If you've got around in your house, in your kitchen, uh, Velcro. And I want you to think of a Velcro, or since you're in the kitchen already, or at least your mind is, if you've got a Teflon-coated pot. And I want you to think the difference between the two. What does the Velcro do? What is the Teflon pot's difference? You see, the Velcro adheres to the surfaces, to whatever they touch. And Teflon, on the other hand, washes things right off. And my friends, I think our brains work in a very similar way. The brain is like the Velcro for bad news, meaning we remember the bad news very well. It's always there. But the good news, well, that's like Teflon to the brain. The good news washes right off. It's gone. We forget about it very fast. Now, before we get too upset about this negativity bias the way God created us, let's remember that if God created us this way, then there actually is a benefit. It's actually a good thing because nothing God does is detrimental. In fact, it's a survival mechanism. This instinct that God gave us by, for good reason, for good purpose, it helps us identify dangers in life, then we should avoid those dangers. When we see a fire, what happens? Our brain immediately recognizes it. It screams danger, right? It's a good thing. The problem is that it has a side effect. Since we're on hyper lookout for potential dangers, the good facts of life tend to get less attention. And when we receive a complaint, what happens? That lingers because our negativity bias holds on to it. How about a compliment? Well, feel nice for a moment, of course, but then the brain just shifts right back to the protective mode and we forget. That's why the complaint lingers for longer. Now, sometimes, I mean, I'm just thinking about kids or not just kids. I recently did my master's degree. I can't believe it's actually about four years since I did it, but boy, was that an intense time. And when we had to write certain assignments and do take certain exams. If the grade wasn't exactly 
you know, an A, trust me, even as an adult, I had this negativity feeling. If I got 75, my focus wasn't on the 75% that I did achieve. The focus, sadly, I say so here because I'm just as human as most of you. And it was that 25% or worse sometimes that stuck to my head. That really somehow was the thing, like the Velcro that just stayed there. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's good in a sense because it motivates me to try harder next time. But of course, it has a side effect that it made me upset, which obviously can derail my confidence and my drive and my motivation. And what am I even doing this for? I'm not even doing well at it. Those are the kinds of sentiments and feelings that I would have. And I'm remembering story after the Rebbe had a heart attack, a really debilitating one in 1977. And there was major concern about the Rebbe's health and if he would recuperate. And we're all very lucky and privileged that indeed the Rebbe did and gave us 17 more years from Tavshin Lamed Ches, 1977 through 1994. And those indeed were special years where he redoubled or quadrupled, multiplied by who knows how many times the energy that he invested in world jury. And during that time, I heard a story from one of the doctors who was treating the Rebbe that he was telling the Rebbe about his condition and that he had to cut back on his workload and take it a little easier or much easier. And they warned the Rebbe that if he maintained his old pace, he had a 25% chance of this cardiac condition reoccurring. And they looked at it as if the Rebbe, well, you know, didn't flinch. It didn't seem to affect him in any way. And the doctor wondered and asked the Rebbe, did you hear what I said? And the Rebbe confirmed that he did. And he said that if I were to continue my work, I do have a good 75% chance of remaining healthy. And the doctor related that story because that was the Rebbe's positivity bias. That was the Rebbe's optimistic outlook on life. And I think that is something very powerful. In fact, I want to take a moment to wish a Rafua Shalema to my dear friend Stan Berger. And if all of you could please say a chapter of Tehillim for him, as Stan is battling a challenge in life now and he should have a speedy recovery. But Stan has that very same attitude. Stan is a man who constantly repeats this this expression, tracht gut gut, that if we think positively, it will be positive. And that's certainly going to pull him through, please God. And it's something that we could all adapt in our lives as well. Having that very same positivity bias, realizing, thinking, and appreciating the good in our lives. And when we come to a challenge, to find a way to overcome it. And so while we, when we get caught up with our negativity bias, while it's true that I only achieved 75% in that exam, and that 25%, I should be working harder to do better. But there is a side effect when I focus on the negative. Because not only is it difficult to establish a positive mindset, but even once I do, it's difficult to retain it. Climbing from negativity to positivity actually requires effort. But sliding from positive to negative does not really require any effort at all. In fact, that's a law of gravity, that deceleration happens at an exceedingly faster rate than acceleration. Climbing 
something that's falling downward by the laws of gravity happens much quicker. And so even if we want to establish a positive mindset in life, we have to fight to hold on to it because losing it is way too easy. We don't climb by accident, but we can slide by accident. And that's why I encourage everyone to really make sure that you do your very best to hold on to, to hang tight to the positivity that you have. And don't allow the negativity to fall into place because oftentimes that does happen and that's not something that you want to happen in your life. You want to avoid at all costs any negativity from happening. And that's something that is very important to to keep in mind. I work with uh, senior citizens and part of Hatzalah. And I have to say that I once read about an experiment, particularly during COVID, this was a concern about taking the vaccine and people hearing about the potential side effects of what was ha- what would happen. So I don't know if I'm going to get this exactly accurately right, but I believe that they did two, they did a study on this and they asked one group of participants that if they were prone to catching the flu, and here they have this vaccine for COVID or whatever it was, the procedure that, that could help them. But if they informed them that the procedure has a 75% success rate, it, and they asked them if they'd be willing to accept them. To the other group, they asked them the opposite. They just rephrased the question. They did it the opposite way. They said to them, what if you have a 30% uh, failure rate? that results in unpleasant side effects, would they be willing to consider the surgery? And what was very interesting is that with those that they started with the negative, nobody wanted to move into the positive, (laughs) very few at least. It's much less likely that people are going to change their mind and go from a no to a yes after hearing the negative first. On the other hand, it's a lot more likely for people to change their mind from a yes to no when they heard the positive first. So the the numbers, I can't tell you the exact statistics, but that was what happened when they conducted this experiment and they were able to prove this idea scientifically. And they found that no one was willing to consider the procedure, the vaccination, after being exposed to the negative first. While some changed their mind from saying yes to no, nobody changed their mind from no to yes. So it it demonstrated conclusively, in fact, that we slide easily towards the negative, even when we begin with a positive mindset. We're constantly bombarded by waves of negative thoughts, and we try to protect ourselves from them. And it's it's like a computer that's attacked by a constant flow of malicious viruses. And that's why it has firewalls. Even when we adopt a good mindset, we have to guard constantly against letting it slide. And this is not a bad thing. Like we said before, it's a survival mechanism. It is a way, an instinct that God hardwired us with, that we're able to protect ourselves from negativity. But the flip side is that it also keeps us away from being content with what we have, which is why people, some people, are not happy. And our task in life is to address the side effects that keep us from being happy, to do what we can. And as we get ready for the high holidays, this is a matter that pertains to our spiritual level as well, when we want to refine ourselves. No one ever needs to resolve to take on a bad habit. 
right? Those come to us naturally. We have bad habits that we pick up here and there. But we need to make good resolutions. We need to resolve to take on good habits. But even after we make a resolution, we also have to fight tooth and nail to maintain it, not to let it slide. Needing to constantly resist the pull of negativity is a normal thing. That's that's the way we're hardwired. But our role, our divine service, our mission is to acknowledge that we have this negativity bias and even recognizing the good purpose and reason why God gave it to us. But also, God gave us two souls, godly soul and an animal soul for a reason, for a purpose. And we have to know with this tug of war who needs to win. And we're going to take some time now to discuss how exactly we're able to fight it. What can we do to come through as a winner? Because our negativity bias is like a medication, right? It's good to have. Medicine's good, but we have to take measures against, you know, overdosing on it and side effects and keeping away from children who don't need those medications. And of course we have a solution just like medical uh, the pharmacists have come up with the solutions on protecting against overdoses. And the way it works is our brains are wired to fire off these neurons in certain patterns. And when we see negative, what happens when we have this negativity, when negative things come our way? That's when the danger neurons start to fire powerfully. And when we see something good, positive, happiness neurons start to fire. But the difference is, like I said before, they're not as powerful, not as strong. So when we look back at our day, what happens? Which one fired more powerfully? The good, the positive, or the negative? And that's perhaps why we remember the negative things. And it gets us depressed and morose, melancholy, downtrodden, sad. But the truth is that our brain is elastic. And our brains can be rewired to fire its neurons in new patterns that will help us remember the positive things too. And how do we do this? What do we need to do? We need to focus. We need to dwell on the positive, not just for a few seconds. Don't let it be like Teflon and just slide right off. Focus on it for some time. Spend some time there in the positive, in the optimistic, in the good. When it comes to negative experiences, people always say, don't dwell on it, right? If the solution to moving on from the negative is not to dwell on it, well, then when it comes to happy experiences, what would you say? Perhaps you should dwell on it. Dwelling on a positive experience transfers the memory from short-term memory to long-term memory. Sinking into its warmth as it sinks into you turns happy, warm thoughts into happy, warm feelings. And this tags the memory in our minds as something important. Something to store in that easy-to-find location that you could recall it easily when it's necessary. Think of a, of a savings account. The longer the money remains in savings, the more interest you're going to collect. And Think about the law of 72. Einstein expounded on it. The compound interest. Think about the same thing about our feelings and our memories. The longer the good experience remains in our memory, like our bank account, the more goodness it's going to continue to compound and 
will be filled with good things, with positivity. And maybe we won't feel like we're crazy for being happy for some reason. When we look at kids who are happy, oh, that's, 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 that's normal. When a child cries and complains, we understand that something's wrong. But why is it with an adult? If an adult, if an adult is complaining, oh, that's normal. That's, that's the way it is. But all of a sudden, if a child complains, sorry, if an adult is happy, What's wrong with you? Why are you happy today? What happened to you? Well, my friends, neurologists believe that it actually takes 12 seconds on average to achieve that transfer, that transition from negativity to positivity. A positive experience that you hold on to for one second gives you a single moment of contentment, of happiness. And a positive experience that you hold on to for 12 seconds, according to neurologists, can completely transform our mindset, can ensure that we remember it when we think back in our day. And it can ensure that we will react positively to the slightest hint of anything even vaguely similar. So my friends, let's think of ways to be focused on the good, on the positive. We'll be right back to discuss how to make gratitude your attitude. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiban. It's great to be with you here today. And I hope we're all in a happy, great, good, delightful, and gratitude-filled mode. Because as we've been discussing today, we really want to try to focus more, especially in the upcoming new year, on positivity in our lives. And in order to do that, we need to do more than just dwell on being happy for the blessings. We have lots of blessings in our life, but we need to also feel grateful to our benefactors who are providing us with those blessings. And that's precisely why Judaism tells us that we need to be grateful to God. The Torah puts tremendous emphasis on gratitude. And in fact, it's a mitzvah. And think about it in the Ten Commandments, a mitzvah of honoring our parents is actually predicated on gratitude that we have to be grateful to our parents who brought us into this world, to repay them for the kindness that they've done for us in our childhood, the sleepless nights, the hard work, sweat, blood, and tears that our parents have invested in us. And when we think about it, gratitude plays an important role in reprogramming our brains. Because to derive the maximum benefit from positivity dwelling, that we want to focus on the good in our life, we need to personalize it. Because if it's not personalized, it's just superficial. We need to find, we need to think of the people who've done good to us and express the gratitude to them. If somebody gave you a compliment, focus on that person that offered the compliment. Don't just focus on the compliment itself and what they said, but on who said it. If someone went out of their way to help you, don't just think about what they did for you, how nice it was to receive that help, but focus on how nice that person was to go out of their way to help you. And when you do these types of things, when you dwell on a positive experience and on the person who did it, that actually amplifies, it amplifies the positive mindset. When we dwell on gratitude for those who provided us a positive experience, it's going to magnify the positive mindset so many more times over because it's not just the event, the incident. The, when we focus, when we have a gra- uh, an attitude of gratitude, when we dwell on the good, it reminds us that life is good. It's filled with many nice, warm, and happy experiences. 
And it reminds us more than that, that we are also surrounded by people who care, by nice, warm, friendly, giving, loving people. And it reminds us that these people care about me. And they go out of the way to help me. And I should be grateful. I should be, I'm, I'm happy because it's, it's real. It's not just an event that occurred, a windfall. But these are people who make this a part of my life. And it makes the happiness more real and lasting because it's personal. Having a nice experience is wonderful. It's great. But realizing that somebody cares, somebody's out there that cares enough about me to help me. Now that touches my heart. And when we're personally touched, our happiness is deeper and longer lasting. It's not just the incident. There's, it's, there's, in fact, there's a lot more benefits on gratitude. I was reading a few weeks back from Lord Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory. And he lists a whole lot of benefits that we could derive from gratitude. Last week, we were reading the Parashat Kitavo about the Bikurim. And he, he, he quotes so many things from so many sources in Torah. And he says that we know of the multiple effects of developing an attitude of gratitude. It improves physical health and immunity against disease. Being grateful. Grateful people are more likely to take regular exercise and go on regular medical checkups. Thankfulness reduces toxic emotions such as resentment, frustration, and regret. And it makes depression much less likely. It helps people avoid overreacting to negative experiences. They're not looking to take revenge and exact retribution. It even tends to make people sleep better at night. It enhances self-respect, making it less likely that we're going to envy others for their achievements of success. Grateful people tend to have better relationships. Saying thank you enhances friendships and elicits better performance from employees. It's also a major factor of strengthening resilience. And in fact, one study of Vietnam War veterans found that those with higher levels of gratitude suffered lower incidence of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And remembering the many things that we have to be thankful for, it helps us survive painful experiences because no life is in any way free from that. So my friends, remember what King Solomon says, there's a time and a place for everything. Of course, there are times to cry, but there's also a time to laugh. If one is going through a particularly trying time, then that's not the time for happiness. But King Solomon doesn't say you should be stuck there. And in fact, think about our lives. Yes, there's a cycle of life, but there's a lot more simchas and celebrations in life, hopefully, than the tragic times that inevitably happen as well. And outside of those difficult times, we have to strive for and work towards happiness. That is our mission. That is, that's something we need to work on within ourselves. And I want you to take this moment, take this opportunity as we're discussing this, to think of someone in your life who did something mean to you, something really not nice and cruel, that you resent them, that you despise and hate them for it. And I want you to think of something nice that very same person did for you in the past. And I want you to hold it in your mind for 60 seconds. Let it settle in. Think of something nice that that person did for you. Feel the warmth spread through you. Let it sink into the gratitude and let it sink into you. I know you don't like this person right now. 
I know that person is, is bad, is evil, is terrible. But I want you to think for a moment of something good and kind that that individual wants to feel. I want you to bring up that person's face in your mind. If you're driving the car, you could stop for a moment while you do this and link the warm feelings towards this mean, rude, cruel person. Think about the nice things that they've done as well. And see, maybe, does this in any way, shape, or form change your perception of that person? When you think of them now, of the good thing that they once did for you, do you cringe a little less? Do you feel more warmth towards that person? This doesn't mean you have to forgive them. We'll talk about that before Yom Kippur. It means that you feel less negative about them. If they ask for forgiveness, maybe you might be more inclined to forgive them, considering that they've done some nice things for you. Now, just consider that gratitude dwelling with regular positivity dwelling. Thinking not just on the good, but gratitude for the good that person did. If someone hurts you and you dwell on something nice that that person did, for you at some other time. It might improve your mood, even though you're upset with that person, even though it's not going to change your attitude towards that person who hurt you, who was mean to you. I'm not even telling you to forgive them. I'm just saying focus on gratitude towards that very person for something nice that they once did for you. And it could help you change your perception of that person and maybe ease your way towards forgiveness or even just to not let that person continue to, to, to be there in your mind that you resent this individual so badly for what they've done to you.